The book of Galatians, starting in chapter 1. Paul starts out by saying he's an apostle and then defining what an apostle is. He says that he's not sent by men or agency of man. In other words, he's not sent by some religious group or structure, but he is sent from Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he says an apostle is one sent by God through Christ to do the work of God to build up the body of Christ, the kingdom of God in a certain area. And that's who he is. And he says also those that are with me are writing to all the different churches in the area of Galatia, which we'd seen in the book of Acts, you know, Paul had established. And then he opens with a blessing of grace and peace through the Lord. And he says, through Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. So he's going to go into the more detail uh, into that topic, but, but at a high level, he's saying this is what it's all about, that Christ rescued us from the evil of this age into a new life and into a new kingdom. And then he's going to quickly go on to the fact that he's extremely disappointed. He says he's amazed you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another... So he says, you've come to Christ through the good news that I've shared with you, the reality of his kingdom. And now you are listening to another way. And really, this is something he dealt with in both the uh, Corinthians and the Romans. So it's a common theme of what they were dealing with in that day in which you had uh, Jews who had accepted their Messiah, Jesus, but still thought that they didn't, they didn't have a full appreciation that Jesus was the way into this life, that the other aspects of the law that they had always upheld did not give them righteousness or bring them closer to God, but were simply pointing towards the righteousness of Christ and the new life and kingdom that he allowed one to enter into. And so they would go on in, in the name of their religion that had been established by God, uh, pushing that the Gentiles, who also had accepted their Messiah, uh, use their same religion. I think we're going to see something very similar in our day. There's talk of a great falling away. So there's people falling out of that. There's talk of a great harvest of souls, people coming into the church. And I bet, just because these sorts of things have always happened, that there will be uh, these sorts of different uh, struggles where you have a people wanting the, the new people coming to the Lord to accept their established religious traditions without fully understanding that some of the many of the religious traditions held by uh, churchianity are simply the religions of man and not put there by God versus simply living for God alone, dying to ourselves and living to him as he leads, as he does lead us into this new time and into these new ways. So as we're, as we do move uh, in, into, the, you know, reading about these and listening, we shouldn't just turn our brains off and think, oh, well, they had those struggles then, but see in what ways do, does this apply to us either today or as we move forward 
in what ways do we hold on to the religions of man for our righteousness rather than living in faith through Christ and him alone? And in what ways do we expect others to live by our own religious constructs, which, you know, usually aren't invented by us, but something we've accepted because they've been around a long time. So Paul says, the thing that has been disturbing you is not really a gospel at all. It's not good news at all. It's trying to take you away from Christ. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should show up and preach a gospel different than what we have taught you, let him be accursed. Because there is only one way, and that is what we have shared with you. And Paul says, look, I'm not seeking the favor of men. I am only seeking the favor of God. I'm not trying to please you with sweet words that make you like me. That is very, very common. It was common then. It's common now. It's always been common. He said, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I'm, I'm looking to serve Christ and him alone, God alone not the, the pleasures of men. And Paul goes on to say, I, look, I was taught this directly by revelation from Jesus. I didn't get it from any brothers. It wasn't preached to me. I got it directly from Jesus. And that is what I'm sharing with you. And then he goes on, much as he did in the last book, Second Corinthians, he's, he's going to give kind of a, a resume here of who he is. He says, you know, you've heard of me, my former life in Judaism. I persecuted the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond any of my, or many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. I was more zealous for the ancestral traditions than most. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So this book's kind of cool, and he's going to go on for a couple more paragraphs, but we get a a glimpse into his life. The religious mind would just tell us God just appeared to Paul, and he became this amazing man of God. But what he's just started to do, and what he's going to do again for the next few paragraphs is talk about this long journey of growth that needed to happen in him. The Lord was teaching him and training him, discipling him, disciplining him, transforming him, so that he could be the person who did establish uh, the churches in all these different areas. And so he again says he, he went off and was taught by God alone, not by people. And he describes that. He didn't, that was true in Arabia. It was true in Damascus. Just another note before I move on, on that last paragraph, he, he talks about the fact that God himself had set him apart from, from birth or from before birth, that he, this plan about Paul's life was known from the beginning. And then, I, I never know how to pronounce it, if you, Peter's actual name, Cephas or Caiaphas, I guess, be, oh, I think my daughter wants to do something. What's that? Simon, yeah, that's a different name, but he had, um, so how does it go? I think Peter, I think, I think Simon and Peter are the Greek names and, uh, however you pronounce it, Cephas or Caiaphas was Hebrew. And so, um, Jesus changed it from Simon to Peter, but that's the Greek version. But then he also has the Hebrew version. That's usually what Paul called him. Just like Paul is the Greek version of Saul. 
the same name in a different language. And so I, I'm going to pronounce it Kyphus because that's what uh, that Mel Gibson movie pronounces it. And I really like that movie. <laughs> and so I, I don't I don't know. But we're going to go with Kyphus. And so he says, I went and stayed with him for 15 days, three years later. So again, three years has passed. And then he spent 15 days with uh, Peter. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he says he went into Syria and Cilicia. He was still unknown to the churches in Judea who were in Christ, but they had been hearing the one who had been persecuting us is now preaching about this faith. So they were glorifying God because of Paul. And then we're on to chapter two. And then we see 14 more years pass. And then he goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and taking Titus. And because he had been having continually having revelation and going up and he wanted to submit what he was saying to the apostles there in Jerusalem because he was doing his work far away from them. And he wanted to make sure that that he was in line, what he was saying, that that they were in agreement, that he had not gotten off track in any way. So he did did so privately. But he says, not even Titus, who was with me and is Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But he says, we did not submit to them at all. Um, But from those with high reputation, he says, you know, hey, reputation doesn't mean anything to me. But, you know, Peter and James, these guys are well known and they're they're certainly pillars of the church. Uh, You know, every man's the same to me, but but the Lord has appointed them and many people respect them. And they are leaders there in Jerusalem. And they did not say that Titus or anyone else needs to be circumcised. And yet you're listening to people amongst you who are saying you need to be circumcised. So here you have me telling you this and you have Peter and James and all the leaders in Jerusalem who are all saying this is not necessary. So who are you listening to? Instead, they saw that I had been in, this is Paul speaking, that I had been entrusted with the gospel, with, with the, the anointing to spread the gospel in the Gentile world, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And so just as God was working through Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised, God is working through me to the Gentiles. And they recognized this grace that was given to me. And then James and Caiaphas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So he said, look, we were all of one mind in this truth that I'm sharing. So the, the people trying to make up religions for you to follow are a distraction you should not put up with. And then he gives a powerful example of the strength of this distraction of the enemy at work. And he gives an example of this, even though Peter had just said this, and another time Peter was overcome by this fear of man, by this spirit of religion. And so he says, but when Caiaphas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So what happened is before these these certain Jews arrived, Peter had been eating with the Greeks there with Paul and everybody's getting along great. 
And then they showed up and they had high-minded religious ideas and Peter was swept away. And so then Barnabas was swept away too. And and other Jews who had been all eating together with the Greeks because as the law of Moses was understood by the people, they should not eat with Gentiles. And so then now you have Peter, Barnabas, and others who now are basically um, snubbing the Gentile believers by not eating with them. And so Paul reprimands them for this hypocrisy. And he says, uh, he says, I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And I said to Caiaphas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the law, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So he says... We are Jews. We have grown up with the law. We are not like the Gentiles who have not had this during their life. But we have never been justified through the law. We are not made clean before the Father because of the law whatsoever. So we have this blessing of following the law, but in and of itself, it simply points towards Christ. And we're, we're, it's just, it's not enough. Even we who follow this way need Christ in order to justify us. We were sinners even with the law. We still needed Jesus in order to pay for our sin. And so I am not going to be about rebuilding a way of trying to gain righteousness through the law when it has never worked for anyone. But Jesus himself fulfilled the law and he gave himself as a sacrifice that the law demands for us so that we could be freed in him. He says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, he says, The law simply points out the fact that I deserve death. And so I have willingly embraced the cross of Jesus to death, to my own rights, to my own ways, to my own desires. I lay them down at the cross and say, Father, Jesus, my life is yours. Jesus, I accept what you've done for me to help me to live with the Father. And Father, I accept the life that you give me. My old life is dead to me, and the life I live now is in you. You fill me. You lead me. You transform me. This is now your life. I've given it to you. 
And so this is the kingdom life. He's saying that he's going to go into much more detail and it's, it's what the rest of the book is just wonderful, but that's it, man. That, I mean, right now he's, he's putting, that's, that's the life. He says, that's what it is all about. And it is, it is accomplished through faith. It's the only way that we can receive what Jesus has done for us. And we can receive the kingdom that he's opened up to us and that we can step in it, walk in it, live in it. It's all by faith. It's all by increasing measures of faith in every area of our life. And he ended by saying, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So he said, you, by trying to attain righteousness through the law, and this can apply to any kind of religion that we as Christians believe that makes us righteous. So it's not just the religious spirit would have us think, well, that applies to the Jews and the old things they did, but now I'm free in Christ, and yet I'm a slave to all these kind of religious things of uh, my new, you know, churchianity system. It's the exact same thing. He says, righteousness does not come by these three, through these things. It comes through faith, living, walking out of faith in Christ, being transformed and being led by him in whatever way he leads you to and into. And, and that's our introduction to Galatians. It, uh, it gets really good from here and we'll, we'll pick up there tomorrow. God bless you.